Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and this episode of the Take 10 Podcast is going to be all about getting some unique perspectives in the sports world. Um, you know, Big Ten basketball is chugging along here, kind of in the heat of winter, but we just had Andy Katz on last week to break down the state of the conference and college hoops, as well as Harold Shelton last week, and we'll try and uh, get another Buckets Breakdown episode here soon, maybe next week, but for this episode, I wanted to talk to a couple of people, actually, that have some unique perspectives, especially with how it relates to what's going on currently in sports, and I got a couple of great guests, in my opinion, to do so. First off, our uh, primary guest in this episode is Taylor Rooks of SNY New York. She's a rising star in sports media, if you haven't heard of her. She is an anchor, host, and reporter for Sportsnet in New York and the obviously the number one sports media market in the country. She started at Big Ten Network and before that went to University of Illinois like myself. So I wanted to get her perspective on the sports media landscape, give her story on her path to New York City and where she is now. And she's been killing it in the podcast game lately. Her podcast has some of the NBA's best stars and, and some of the sports media's most influential athletes and personalities. So I want to talk to her about a variety of topics, including what it's like to be a black woman in sports media as she's, you know, kind of risen through the ranks and gained a very influential voice in that medium. And then with everything going on in the professional basketball world as well, and, you know, I mentioned it in the interview that we're about to get to here that I hate really giving this story more oxygen because, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, Mr. LeVar Ball, but it's a story that's dominating sports media. And I know, like, that's a topic that gets people riled up. It's so polarizing. Like, either people get mad that you talk about it or people get mad that you don't give Mr. Ball his credit. So I'm not really going to get into all that, but I did get a second guest on this show who has a perspective on basketball as it pertains to the discussion around you know kind of the whole hoops mania that's going on it's and that guest is ben brust ben has been a guest on the show before i had him on to kind of tell his basketball story early on in in the uh, take 10 podcast days but for this episode i had ben on because he actually played basketball professionally in lithuania and that was a couple years back i believe but i wanted to get ben on to tell his uh or to share his perspective on hoops overseas especially in Lithuania because that's like where the overseas basketball microscope is right now just as a result of the media circus surrounding the ball family so we don't really talk much you know about the big baller brand or anything like that it's more of getting his experiences about playing Lithuania and kind of what the basketball lifestyle is like over there and, and I think you'll enjoy it as well no matter what side of this you know ongoing media frenzy you fall on so before we get to taylor rooks and ben bruss i wanted to just issue a couple of reminders here before we get started first of all please continue to subscribe like rate and review the podcast we are on apple Podcasts, google play podbean so if you're listening on soundcloud be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes and another reminder is we are still offering a coupon code on the btn.com online store where you can take 10% off any order, merchandise, apparel, whatever you order on that online store. And the coupon code is TAKE10, capital T, 
T-A-K-E and the number one, zero. That's T-A-K-E, all caps, numbers one and zero. And that'll let you take 10% off your order at the BTN online store, which can be found on our homepage on desktop at the top of the screen. Or if you're on mobile, just scroll all the way to the bottom and BTN shop option or tab will be uh, found down there. So take advantage of that while it's going on. And with those reminders out of the way, it's time to get to the first of my guests, Taylor Rooks of Sportsnet New York. And that interview starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by a former University of Illinois student, current, uh, former Big Ten Network anchor, current anchor reporter host at SNY New York City. It's Taylor Rooks, and you can follow her on Twitter at Taylor Rooks. Taylor, it's been a long time coming, but welcome to the show. Yes, and it's been so long, but I'm happy to be here. Happy to be talking to another Illini, because there aren't many of us in New York. There probably are a lot, but none that I come across. Yeah, down, out on the East Coast, you're kind of carrying the flag for us Illini alums. So uh, now, that you're, now that you're big time on the East Coast in New York City, in the uh, number one media market in the country, really the number one media market in the entire world uh, for sports, I wanted to do what I try and do whenever I have sports media professionals on the show, and that's just get into your background a little bit, how you got to where you are today at Sportsnet New York. So how does that sound? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. So first of all, you know, we go back to Illinois days. Full disclosure, we've been friends for several years now, but have you read your your Wikipedia page? Because I try and do research, and, and the first place I go is Wikipedia for everybody I have on even though, you know, it, it's always kind of sketchy. Have you read your Wikipedia page? Because it, it's pretty weird, to be honest. <laughs> is it? What does it say? It, it's not like, there's not any, like, inaccuracies as far as I can tell, but it's, like, almost like a robot spit it out. It says, like, all the facts about you, and then it says you're, like, 1.78 meters in height. It's very weird. It's, like, typed <laughs> in by a, a robot or something. It's strange. 1.7, does that translate to 5.9? I have no idea. I'm so bad at math. I didn't even check, but that sounds about right. I mean, I wasn't about to, to background check that. Like, no one does that with Wikipedia, but I just thought it was funny That's that hilarious. it gave your, meter, your meters in height, so. That's very funny. All well, right, I'm 5'9", so, so if that's the, the direct, like, conversion, then it's right. All right. Um, <laughs> so it also, it also says you're from uh, Gwinnett County, Georgia, right? Which I, I know am. you're from Georgia. I am. So, so that's uh, outside Atlanta, and, and first of all, let me give you my sincerest condolences, my thoughts and prayers for your sports <laughs> fandom, because first it was the Falcons in the Super Bowl, and then the Georgia Bulldogs fell short Monday night, so it is a rough time to be from that part of the country. It really is. Like I'm starting to think we are genuinely cursed, but we still have a chance to redeem ourselves. Falcons are in the playoffs. They can totally beat the Eagles without Carson Wentz, like... Hey, if any team has the path of least resistance to get to the Super Bowl, it's the Falcons. Yeah, it's actually funny because I have a couple friends up here in Chicago that are Falcons fans, and I went to the uh, went to with them to a, a Falcons bar to watch the game this past weekend. And I had no idea there were so many Falcons fans in Chicago, but the bar was crazy, and everyone was going wild for the Falcons and that game against the Rams. And I might have to do it again because it was pretty fun uh, for their game against the Eagles. And I know everyone's fired up. So I'll be uh, I'll be rooting for your Falcons because that was I can't imagine like last Super Bowl that was like if my Cubs blew Game Seven of the World Series like it looked like they were going to that Falcons game I still can't get over like how that must have felt as a yeah Falcons fan. because like 
everyone thinks Falcons fans are like upset because we lost the game or that Georgia fans are upset because we lost the game. It's really not that. It's that we're upset the way we lost and that like we should have won. I think it would be a lot easier for us to deal with the loss if like say we were down, you know, from kick. But we put ourselves in situations where like any logical person would be like, This person this team's gonna win the game. But then we end up losing. <laughs> Like, it's yeah. much harder to think that you're winning and then lose than it is to be losing and lose. I thought there was no chance that the Patriots would come back in that game. It, I mean, it was heart-wrenching just as a neutral observer. So, thoughts and prayers so uh, once again, but you guys have another shot at it. Um, so, you're from Georgia, mm-hmm. but you have Illinois roots through and through, and that's what kind of led you to Illinois. So, uh, your dad was a running back in Illinois. Did Did other family members go to Illinois as well? Both my parents did, yep. Okay, so did you ever consider anywhere besides Illinois to go to school, or was that always kind of an obvious path? No, I knew I wanted to go to Illinois. Um, obviously, you apply to, like, safety schools and stuff, but I knew if I got into Illinois, I was going to be there. Just You know, I'm big into the idea of legacy, and I'd gone up a couple times with my dad, and I always loved it, so I just knew that it was the right place for me. So what drew you then to sports journalism? Did you go there knowing you'd go into sports journalism? Was that already a path that you kind of carved out for yourself, or was that something you developed once you got to college? Yeah, I mean, like, I always thought sports journalism would be amazing, and I thought that I would be fairly good at it, but it's also one of those careers where I think people find themselves kind of second-guessing whether it's realistic or if you can do it, so when I went to school initially, I had it declared that I was going to be majoring in journalism, and then my freshman year, I was like, okay, if I'm going to go after this, I'm going to go after this. Yeah, your dad, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, no, go ahead. I was going to say, your dad, uh, like I mentioned, was Thomas Rooks. He played during the glory days of Illini football. How much did he influence, and your family in general, because uh, you have other sports figures in your family, influence your sports fandom in that path that led you to sports journalism? It's like I just grew up around sports. Like Sports is so embedded in my family. We all love football. We all love basketball. They love baseball more than I do, <laughs> but we're just a we're just a sports family. Like It's it's such a big part of our bonding. It's what we do when we spend time together. It's what we talk about half the time. So it was never weird for me growing up and, like, women enjoying sports or knowing what's going on or being very into the game. That's just what I've always grown up knowing. Um, and a lot of that is because of the people in my family that play sports. I've been surrounded by the culture for a really long time. Um, so it just felt really natural. Yeah, so you talked about, you know, questioning how realistic the path was in sports journalism that's kind of the spiel that I feel like everyone gets coming up if you're trying to enter this field. So what about Illinois prepared you to be a sports journalist and be a broadcaster and anchor? Because you had some internships during your time there that I feel like, just if I'm remembering correctly, really elevated your platform. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was the thing about being at University of Illinois was there was just an abundance of opportunity. I mean, my freshman year, I just started this sports blog where I interviewed whoever I could, whenever I could, just to try and get better at reporting and storytelling. Um, And then from there, Fox Sports saw that blog and asked me to work for them the rest of my time in college. Um, So I was able to cover Illinois football on my basketball, and I covered recruiting, which I think really kind of elevated me was my ability to cover recruiting. Um, And that's something that I think anybody in college should tap into because it is so huge like college fans 
at times care more about recruiting than they do the actual program. <laughs> and I think that I realized that really early and just tried to tap into that kind of niche reporting. Um, and I think it's just being at Illinois, they were so helpful with access. They were so helpful with allowing me to be at every game, allowing me to do the stories I wanted, to interview the people that I wanted. Um, and it just it just presented so many opportunities for me. Isn't it interesting, though, that at Illinois, and I found this interesting coming up there and recognizing the same thing you did about how recruiting appeals to a large part of the fan base. Isn't it interesting how little success they've had in the time that we were there and since there then even, but it still allows you to have that platform. And it almost is like with that Hope Springs Eternal type attitude with the recruiting, always yeah. gonna be, kind of be looking towards the future. Like, Isn't it interesting how even though they've been bad at sports in the last you know five to ten years that those opportunities are still there? Yeah, but you see, I think that's why they're still there. I think the reason they're there is because the team has been bad. Because everybody, you know, wants to think, well, we could be good if this happens. That's true. Like, if like, you're if you're a great college team, I mean, they focus on recruiting, but it's not the only, you know, thing they're looking towards. There's also that game coverage that goes to people already in those established positions that are covering right. the team. So, yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. And then when you were there, you also had some other internship opportunities uh, PGA Tour is one example. You're at Comcast Sportsnet Chicago. So what eventually led you to Big Ten Network? Was it connections you made in school, or was that something that happened after graduation? Yeah, no, it was a little bit of both. I mean, mainly it was all the work that I was doing in college. I did a lot of BTN Student U, which is such a phenomenal program for students um, that are in college at Big Ten Universities. Um, I did a lot of BTN Student U, and eventually, um, Q, Quentin Carter, who's like the best person on earth, as I'm sure you know, um, asked me in the summer if I would come be on BTN Live. It just literally one day got a call, and he was like, we, ha- we have a spot open. We think you'd be great for it. We've seen the work that you do throughout the year, and they asked me to be on the show. And it was fantastic. It was like a dream come true. But I think a lot of that came because I worked really hard in college. Anytime they could network called and said, hey, we need a reporter for this. Will you do it? I did. It got to a point where I wasn't just doing BTN Student U. I was also doing reports for actual games. I was traveling to Iowa and doing reports for actual games. Um, and that just that just really, really helped. So when I graduated college, they didn't wonder whether I could do it or not. But I think it's yeah. also I think it's also yeah. something I always say to people is like Big Ten Network totally had to take a chance, like a twenty two year old coming to work there on a live show Monday through Friday. You know, so I think I'm just forever indebted to the network and the people there, and I'm so thankful that they did, you know, allow me, you know, that opportunity. Yeah, I was going to say, it was a quick jump for you right out of school. Were there any moments that you felt unprepared for or, like, a welcome to, you know, major network television moments that you that might have took, taken you off guard or something you just look back on and are, are glad that happened to you at a young age and get it out of the way? Yes, for sure. Like, I think I I had to learn that you're going to do things that you don't know everything about. Like, I remember I had to do the women's basketball tournament my first year, and I wasn't super well-versed on the women's players in the Big Ten. But I kind of thought, okay, but I know basketball. So I can watch this, and I'll understand. I didn't necessarily understand, you know, okay, I'm going to have to do, like, a lot of prep work going into this to understand the players more so than understanding the game, if that makes sense. Um, So I got there, and I just felt wholly unprepared. And even though I'm probably harder on myself, 
I felt like it showed that I was completely unprepared. But I think that it just taught me that your preparation is key. And now, no matter what I'm doing, even if it's something that I feel like I know everything about, I spend days preparing because you want to be overprepared, especially for live events. And then I remember, like, the next year I got a, I got asked to do the women's tournament, and it was, like, a complete 180. And it's like, I'll go back and look at some of the stuff I did at Big Ten Network. And I feel like this is everybody. But you go back and look at your old stuff, and you're like, I was so bad. Like, why did anybody hire me to do this job? But um, I think that's a part of it. Like, you grow. And I think if you're looking back on stuff and you don't feel like you're so much better now, then you're probably doing something wrong. But there was a lot of those, you know, welcome to the business moments, being at the Big Ten Network, especially being 22 and on a show all the time. It was, um, there was an adjustment. Yeah, what are some of your prep techniques? Like, do you do it on the road or on, uh, like, while you're traveling or just late at night, in the morning? How do you cram I mean, all that in? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I try to carve out full days. Because I know I have something coming up, I will ask for prep days put into my schedule. So that whole day it couldn't be prepping. And then I'm always prepping while I travel. Like, any time there's a down moment, I'm, I am constantly trying to prep. All right, so we'll stay on your time at BTN uh, just a little longer here. Give me a moment or two or maybe an athlete you interviewed or a game you covered that was really memorable for you or a favorite a favorite experience of yours during your time at Big Ten Network. Moment, I loved being there for the Big Ten Championship when Ohio State beat Wisconsin 59 nothing. I'll never forget that day. Um, Why is that? It, it, I mean, it just, it, it, as corny as it sounds, it honestly felt like magical. Just you knew, like, Urban knew he had to show out if he was going to make it to that championship. And I remember just when the game was over, the players were just elated. Like, I've never seen a happiness like I did that day at Indy. It was it was fantastic. And that would have been um, your f- was first also, Big Ten championship, right? Yeah, that was, and that's the thing. My first year at Big Ten Network, Ohio State won it all. So it was just a really good year to be at the Big Ten. It was like a fairy tale. Yeah, um, I remember when that was all going on, you were tweeting, you were doing the... The old hashtag B1G, 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 just like the you know troll in the SEC <laughs> network and all that. It was, it was funny. Yes, because, you know, Big Ten needs their respect, okay? So I had to make sure talked about that some, all the time. Put some respect on their name. It's Yes, especially being from SEC country. It's like I get it. I get how SEC just has this overly, like, you know, they think they're just the best of the best. So I've been able to see both sides, and I completely understand how down there they, they you know, don't think about the Big Ten, and they should. So it was important to me to talk about that a lot. Um, right, so that so, was definitely favorite memory. All right. And before we move on to your current role at SNY, uh, I wanted to ask one more Illini-related question. Taylor, when's it going to get better for Illinois fans? Uh, what do you make of Illinois sports? I don't know how much you follow <laughs> These days, but you're not afraid to show your, you know, your line of pride and you post stuff on social media still. But it's been a struggle lately, so uh, give the fans out there your diagnosis on what's going on. I have no diagnosis except for I'm so sorry and I feel for all the fans right now because I know that it's hard. And it's weird because in New York, they genuinely don't care about college sports. And it's almost hard to keep up 
with what's going on in Illinois, but I always had to watch the game when I thought, like, I know enough to know that in basketball we're 13th in the Big East right now. Like, I understand that. <laughs> I understand things are not going well. Um, but I, I think, you know, they say that when new coaches come, it takes, like, five years to really get the program on track. I know people don't want to hear that. Hopefully it happens before that, but we'll see. Yeah, in all seriousness, I think they're on the right track with basketball, and they just look so much better this year than they had in the era that we witnessed on campus. And aside from their, uh, my freshman year, which would have been, I think, your junior year, but I think they got the right coach in basketball. We'll see what happens with Lovey Smith yeah. football. I think brighter days are going to come sooner than, um, you know, at least when we were on campus and, and, and being told the same thing. I think it's more realistic now that brighter days are coming sooner. So once they do, you know, get back in their uh, – spot in the Big Ten, especially in basketball like they had in the early 2000s when we were growing up, you got to rep that Illini pride out east. I agree, 100%. Always will. All right, so you mentioned in New York City, you know, they don't care about college sports as much. A lot of your main responsibilities include covering the Knicks, Nets, Jets, Giants, Yankees, Mets. So before we get into all that, first of all, how did you end up at SNY? How did you decide to leave BTN and move out east? Yeah, I mean, well, SNY wanted me to come out and kind of do, like, screen tests with them, so I did that. They, like, instantly told me they wanted me to come move to New York, and it was a really hard decision for me, honestly, just because I love the Big Two Network, and I think you can attest to the fact that, like, at that network, everyone genuinely likes each other. We all get along. It's really like a family there. Like, it's, it's just a really, really good environment, and it was my first job, so everyone was so welcoming, like, Mike Hall answered my questions any time, like, I had a question. Like, I probably annoyed him with all the questions that I had. Um, but he was just such a fantastic, you know, person. Um, it, it was just hard. Like I said, it was people that decided to take a chance on me and let me work for, like, this dream network. Um, and I felt really comfortable there. But I didn't want my comfort to be a reason that I didn't take a leap to go somewhere else. Um, as much as I love college sports and as much as I love Chicago, I just felt it was time for me to be able to anchor and host and report and do all of these different things um, and be able to kind of have a creative outlet that was going to be afforded to me in New York. Um, so that was just kind of the main thing that I, I was ready to have more responsibility and New York offered me that. Yeah, so we talked about your kind of welcome to television moments when you were at BTN. Did you have a welcome to New York City moment or welcome to pro sports, the big stage? Did that ever that ever happen uh, in the past year or so? I think it's more that in New York, it's extremely fanatical, and everything here is a story. Like, if somebody says something in New York, it is blown up, and it is a story for, like, a week. And I didn't realize that, probably not until – when I decided to relaunch my podcast when I got to New York, the first New York essay I had on was Victor Cruz. And I had him on after the Giants had that infamous boat trip in Miami. And none of the players had talked about the boat, like not one. Every time they were asked about it, they would just shoot it down. But when I had Victor on the podcast, I made a joke about him going to Miami and got him to talk about it. And he said that looking back on it, going on the boat wasn't worth it. The next day, that quote was like the back page of New York Daily News. It was on Sports Center. It was the New York Post. Like it was a little 
sentence he said about Miami was everywhere. And I didn't realize that something as flippant as that or, or something that seems so small to you in New York is huge. So, like, you really just have the power to really create stories here. And, like, it's, it's, it's like something I've never experienced. Yeah, that leads into my next question. I was going to ask you if the, the magnitude of being in a market like that where the microscope is so intense – covering the most polarizing teams really in sports, a lot of the most polarizing athletes, you know, Eli Manning, Odell, um, Mello for a while before he went to OKC, and Matt Harvey, like all that was going on while you were working there. Does the magnitude of that ever rattle you or get to you? Or like you said, do you just turn that into more of creative fuel for yourself? No, I think, yeah, it doesn't really get to me. I really see it as opportunity. People really care about what happens in New York. And there's been so many compelling stories during my time here so far. So it's just, everything is really, I think, just worked out. All right. So away from your job, what are you doing for fun out there? Like spare time, you have any (laughs) hobbies, activities, or you just, you know, are you still glued to the sports networks out there so you don't fall behind? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is work and I work so much that there's not that much time to do like a lot of stuff, but that's the thing in New York. There's always something to do. I mean, I've gone to concerts. I do a lot of speaking events. Like I actually travel a lot, which helps because sometimes you have to get out of New York. Like New York is a lot. Um, and there's a lot of people here. So I'm not necessarily like, you know, somebody who wants to go out all of the time. So it doesn't bother me that I don't go out all the time. Um, but I'm very big into, you know, going to sporting events, going to the garden sometimes, going to Barclays, like, New York, anything that you do anytime is fun. And there's so much to eat, so I'm at dinner, like, every night out. <laughs> so it, it's a good time here. Yeah, what's on the uh, the travel itinerary? First of all, do they send you to a lot of remote events to work, or is it more the traveling you do is just kind of on your own, uh, like speaking events, like you said, and vacation and all that? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, this year I would have gone to more Giants games had they been better. Like, I went to the opener in Dallas, and my whole thing was, you know, if the Giants are actually a Super Bowl team, as they say, you know, I'll go to live Giants games that year. That's what happened. <laughs> and then I went to the Knicks opener against the Thunder in OKC. Not like a premier travel destination, but it was fun. Um, but then I have to go to Cleveland for a week at the end of the month. I do this, like, speaking a bit with the Cavaliers. Um, so it's really just a lot of things like that. I'm sadly not going to like Puerto Rico or anything, (laughs) but maybe for vacation. All right. So you mentioned your podcast, Time Out with Taylor Rooks podcast. Uh, Definitely check that out on uh, all the podcast platforms because she's getting really all the, the hottest guests, especially in the NBA. I mean, guests that anyone would kill to have. So let me list off a some of the ones you've had so far, and you'll see what I'm talking about. You had Snoop Dogg before you even like really were serious about the podcast game. It was kind of one of your first guests. You had uh, Rasheed Wallace, Swaggy P, Nick Young, Lou Williams, Kevin Durant, John Wall. Most recently, you had Jimmy Butler, and you had uh, Michael Beasley on, and your interview with him took off because he was on there talking crazy. So, first of all, just my first question off the top with your podcast: How do you react or play it off when someone says something? completely crazy like Michael Beasley did because he was talking about how people only use like 10% of their brains or something, but he started going off on this tangent and your reaction, cause it's, your podcast is, is filmed as well. It honestly helped that 
clip and that uh, segment take off because you weren't really flustered at all. So how do you react when somebody comes on there just talking complete nonsense? Yeah, well, because the thing is, I never want to play it off. I want them to keep talking. You know, I, I think that that's what makes the podcast good is it's set up like a conversation, really. It's not necessarily set up like an interview. It sounds just like two people talking about a subject. So I'll keep asking questions and, like, wondering why they think this way and telling them why I think that they're wrong because I think that's what makes it a good listen. And it also allows you to understand the subject more and really hear, you know, the way they think, the way they act outside of the way that you normally see them. Um, so, honestly, I reacted to Michael Beasley the same way I'd react if I was listening to my friend talk crazy, <laughs> you know, because I wanted to have that feel of there's two people in a room talking about who knows what. Um, and I try to keep that philosophy with all the episodes. Yeah, and what's good about it, I think, is you're able to get these guys to talk about, and girls, you've had uh, some women on as well, but you're able to get them to talk about off-court topics and show their personalities and you really do, I think, relate to them in a way that I doubt many other sports personalities can because you're, you know, most of these athletes are close to an age and, and uh, you know, the cultural references are there. And you really get the realness out of these people, whether it's talking, you know, social media or music or whatever. So who has been your favorite or, you know, a couple favorite guests or conversations you've been able to have and some of the interviews? Give me some of your most proud of, I guess. Okay, so they're all my favorites. <laughs> no, but one oh, that on. I really, <laughs> one that I really enjoyed. Um, John Wall was a fantastic interview, um, especially because I think that it was a way that most people had never really heard him talk and reflect, and he was so he was extremely thoughtful in our interview. Um, and he he was really good. It was my twentieth episode, so that one meant a lot. Um, Rashid Wallace is definitely one of my favorites. He was probably the most unfiltered person that I've had on the podcast, and that's always amazing. He, anything I asked, like, he was willing to go there. He didn't, like, halfway go there. He completely expressed his thoughts, and that's something that I always appreciate. Um, it meant a lot to have Carrie Champion and Maria Taylor on there because they're two women that are friends of mine and are so willing to share their experiences and want to help other women that want to be journalists. Um, Kevin Durant, although it wasn't, like, he was a good episode. It's not like the content was my favorite, but I think that that kind of helped solidify the podcast. I think people saw Kevin on there and were like, okay, like, this actually has pretty good guests. <laughs> and I think, you know, having him on, my subscribers went up, my listeners went up, um, and I just think in some ways it was a bit of a turning point. But I, Michael Beasley probably was my favorite just because it was so entertaining. And yeah, he in that moment. a hoot. That moment ended up on like I saw it on Sports Center. I saw it on. It was everywhere. It was viral, yeah. you know, everywhere. And that's the kind of stuff like the Michael Beasley moment. I think you're good at getting these unscripted moments to come out of, of your shows because that was probably the most prolific one. But you had Jimmy Butler on the most recent one. He was talking about how it was just hot in the studio and he was sweating and he literally had to take take a break. Or <laughs> yeah. was it a uh, was it was it Nick Young? that called Gilbert Arenas was it was it those yes, two that uh, on FaceTime on, yeah, on FaceTime during the interview <laughs> Gilbert Arenas comes on and he said something hilarious that I cracked I was like on a run and I was listening he said yeah, something like, why, like Nick why are you on a podcast was, like only other yeah. people do it or something <laughs> yeah it was really it, yeah and that's the thing that's great like moments like that happen so much on the podcast and, the, and those are my favorites like 
I don't want the podcast to be so much about what's going on the court and like why the team is playing badly and how you're addressing to the new coach. Like that stuff is fun, but I think that anyone can ask those questions and anybody can answer those questions. But I want the podcast to be something so unique to the guests, the conversation only the guests will have and will only answer questions in the way they will. Like, I don't want it to be something that you can listen to anywhere. I think it should be like a very unique experience. So I try to do that with each episode. Yeah, are you looking to have more? I know you had Snoop Dogg on originally, but most of your guests have been primarily sports focused. So are you, you know, going to get more into more, you know, music or pop culture related guests, or are you sticking to sports? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the goal. But more, even more importantly, I'm hoping to just really turn out a lot of NFL guests coming up soon. It was, it's been hard for me to have them come in studio because it's like actually football season. Right. Um, but as soon as that's over, I have a couple lined up. I'm supposed to have Mark Ingram on. I'm supposed to have Marshawn Lattimore, Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, so when they're done playing um, and whenever they end up making it to New York, I plan on actually having a lot of NFL. Because as much as I love basketball, football is actually my favorite sport. <laughs> So I'm very excited to actually have football players on the podcast. Yeah, Juju Smith-Schuster, I'll have to listen to that one for sure because I feel like he's been the breakout, you know, kind of relevant player that is active on social media. He's had controversy with the whole Vontez Perfect hit and all yeah. that. I'm just interested. I mean, and he's so young, right. too. He's like 20 years old yeah. and just funny. So He has so much personality. Yeah, so that'll be a fun one. All right, so definitely check out Taylor's podcast, Time Out with Taylor Rooks. If you haven't already, um, before we wrap up, Taylor, I did want to touch on a, a little more of a, a serious topic that uh, pertains to you, and it's it's kind of your place within sports media as uh, as a black woman because you know you don't stick to sports like whether it's on Twitter or on the shows on SNY. You you present your opinions and you back them up with facts, you know, based in reality, which is can be hard to come by in this era. So. You're also part. <laughs> you're also part of a you know an underrepresented demographic as a black woman in sports media. Like, unfortunately, it's just a fact there are a lot fewer of them than there should be. So, how do you view that status, especially through the lens of sharing opinions from a perspective that just not many people have um, in holding the position that you do? Yeah, I mean, I always tell people that I genuinely feel like I have a responsibility, like a responsibility to represent that demographic. Because like you said, there isn't that many of us and our voice is something that is so incredibly necessary. You know, there's a problem if you turn on the TV and you're watching, you know, a panel of people and it's for white men. You need a different opinion. You need that voice of a woman. You need that voice of, of a black person. And if you aren't getting those perspectives and you really aren't seeing the full story, especially in a time like now with you know, things like the anthem protest. It's very important to have that voice or if domestic violence comes up. How do you not have a woman also t- speaking her piece on the subject? Um, and it's just, it's important for me to feel like I never have to compromise. It's important for me to feel like I can speak my mind and say what I feel and not feel like I have to change it to please other people. I think that especially now we're in a time where people are just talking to talk. And I always want to talk with purpose and I always want to talk because I have something that needs to be heard. And I try to keep that in mind when these topics do come up. 
And I always tell people, like, I remember the first time I turned on TV and saw a black woman talking about sports. It's Pam Oliver. And I know that there are black women at home that follow me on Instagram or Twitter or watch me on TV. And when they see me, I want them to see somebody that represents them and not somebody that changed to represent something else. Um, so I try to just stay true to that and talk about things that really matter. Like these are topics that really matter. They're relevant to the sports world. Um, and I just think it's important to keep all of that in perspective. And luckily, honestly, it's good to see that there are so many more black women coming up in sports media. Um, I'm very happy that's changing. You can probably name a black person, if not more, on every network. Um, so it's good to see that change. There's definitely a long way to go, but it's amazing that there's so many more of us. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how do you think that paradigm eventually shifts to a more level playing field? Like, Is it as simple as little girls seeing people like you on TV and Jamel Hill and Maria Taylor and um, women like that, or do you think there's any sort of you know other shift that needs to take place in the sports media industry to even out that playing field? I mean, it's that, but it's also having diversity in executive roles, the people that make the decisions to hire, the people that pick the people that come on air. Because I think instinctively people are drawn to people that look like them, not even you know, overtly, it's almost subconsciously. Um, but there has to be people in those roles that diversity is important to them. And and they want to have that myriad of ideas and myriad of perspectives in their network. Um, so I just think that it really starts with the people that are hiring and kind of molding their on-air presence to have the want and the desire and the will to expand that. All right, I appreciate that perspective that's all that's really good stuff um and before we wrap up i I just want to get your kind of personal you know nothing really specific but maybe some overarching goals that you might have in mind or it could be as simple as you know an interview you want to land or a a role you eventually want to see yourself in like do you have any goals for expansion for yourself as you you know continue to, to rise in the sports media industry well, my number one goal is I eventually want to have my own show. Maybe every journalist, you know, want. But that's what I want. I want it to be long-form, a sit-down interview. I don't think that we have enough of that. Um, and so and I'm confident and I'm hopeful that that will eventually happen for me in my career down the line. Um, that's number one. Um, and then I more of a short-term goal is I want to eventually do a live podcast. I've seen a lot of people do that. I want to put on an event where I have like four or five guests come and people can buy tickets and sit down in the audience and watch. And, you know, the podcast is live in that sense. Um, so those, those are things that I'm always thinking about, you know, always figuring out how I can make it happen. Um, and as far as guests, I just want to tell compelling stories and talk to compelling people and, I really want to also broaden. I want to help, you know, a hockey player, a baseball player. You know, I want to learn from the guests as well. And I think that the best way to do that is to expand kind of the field of options. Um, so, yeah, that's probably it. All right. Well, if you have a live podcast show with a live audience, um, I'll be sure to be there. Just leave me tickets at Will Call, though, because I'm not about to pay. <laughs> I got you, Alex. You know it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Taylor... That's all I got for you. Thank you so much. A lot of great stuff, and I appreciate you taking some time out of your day today to join me. Of course. Go on, guys. All right. Thanks a lot to Taylor for joining me. And when I met Taylor as a 
undergrad at Illinois and kind of followed her work and uh, became friends with her. I could tell, you know, this is someone who's going to be a quick riser in, in sports media. You know, she'll make it to the top. I have no doubt that she'll one day have her own show and achieve all those goals that she just laid out because, as you can probably tell from that interview, she really gets it. She really has a strong grasp on, on sports media and she's very talented at what she does. So uh, congrats to Taylor on all of her success, and it was a great discussion. Now we're going to get into a, another entertaining discussion, and it is with former Wisconsin men's basketball player Ben Brust, who is also a current BTN analyst and former Lithuanian professional, I should say, former player in the Lithuanian Professional Basketball League. He is not Lithuanian. He's American, as he <laughs> makes very clear. Coming up in this interview, um, great perspective from the former Badger on overseas life, especially when it is a timely topic to talk about Lithuanian basketball right now. So definitely want to get his thoughts on everything that's going on in overseas basketball, get away from the BTN analysis that he does uh, pretty regularly here in studio and on his show that he co-hosts on ESPN Radio in Wisconsin as well. So without further ado... Let's get to Ben Brust on the Take 10 Podcast. So I'm very excited to welcome back to the show Ben Brust. He's a former Wisconsin basketball player, current BTN analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Brust. And right now I'm catching him on a drive between Madison and Milwaukee that he's making as part of his broadcasting role with ESPN Radio up there in Wisconsin. So Ben, how's that, uh, how's that drive going for you right now? Not too bad. I think I've done it one too many times, but this is a perfect way to make it go quick. You know, we'll have a little conversation here uh, about a very inter- intriguing topic to me, um, yeah. and a lot to go for uh, and talk about. So I'll let you fire away. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, we value your expertise when it comes to Big Ten basketball, but you have unique insight when it comes to another brand of basketball as well, and that's one that's been dominating the sports talk discussion lately. So. After your days at Wisconsin, uh, why don't you tell the fine folks out there who don't know where you played professionally? Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I started actually with the Milwaukee Bucks Summer League team. I did that in Vegas um, and then was weighing options overseas. And I ended up picking Lithuania over uh, going into Western Europe because, it, you know, it's a well-respected league, um, a good opportunity to enhance my resume if I were to, you know, play for an extended period of time. And uh, ended up in a pretty remote village, like 5,000 people. Um, no, no one spoke English. I mean, it was like 10% of my town that spoke English. And uh, it was quite the experience. Uh, I've talked a lot about it in, in, in the past months. Um, but, man, what a culture shock. Um, glad I did it. Um, it, was, it was worth going over there and playing a year professionally. Uh, I didn't enjoy Lithuania. Um, I know I would have had a better experience in Western Europe, maybe going to Germany for first year, Italy, Spain, etc. Um, but at the end of the day, what I learned is that lifestyle doesn't change. I probably would have been going to country to country to country year by year, maybe stay in, stay in the same place two years, you never know. Um, but it just wasn't for me. Um, I definitely missed the basketball aspect, but I love America. I love being home. Um, I'm an uncle of 12. I like being around my family. I've been able to um, get an audition with the Big Ten Network, which turned into um, doing some some analyst work, which uh, I really enjoy, and, and now doing some radio stuff. And There's, there's just a lot of opportunity here that I, I didn't want to go play eight years 
and then come back and have to start from scratch and start over. So just trying to get ahead of the game, and there's other ways to stay involved, and that's uh, kind of how you and I have gotten to know each other as well. Yeah, so you played uh, one year over there, right? One season? Yep, one full season, yep. So, yeah, ordinarily the microscope would not be, especially the international microscope, would not be on Lithuania and Lithuanian basketball. But, you know, just with the current sports media landscape and, you know, as as it's kind of blown up here with the whole big baller brand story, I'm, I'm kind of wary of giving the story more oxygen than it already has. But it is a big sports story. And, like, for those people that are sick of the story, I'm, I'm like, most of the way there with you. But I think, you know, since we have you, Ben, it's definitely worth getting your perspective on, on Lithuanian hoops because there aren't honestly that many players that we have at, at our, uh, access to with our fingertip, at our fingertips that can break it down. So, first of all, what was what was the actual basketball like playing in Lithuania, especially, like you said, in a small village with 5,000 people? Yeah, so we actually were a really low-budget team. We were sponsored by the dairy factory in town, which was, um, we were called Pianos Wegsdis, which stood for the Milk Stars. So our logo and team was the Milk Stars. Never in a million years would I think that I'd ever play for a team like that. Um, but the basketball, we finished we finished fourth out of 11 teams. The three teams ahead of us had a million dollar, millions of millions of dollars of budget. Don't even think we came close to that, so it was a really successful season. But I compare the basketball actually a little bit to the Big Ten. It's a physical league. Um, it's not as much freedom of movement. Um, they let you play. It's a grinder. Uh, big, bulky, mean old men at times um you know like if you watch any lithuanian basketball players they usually play with an edge which is which is good um jonas valanchunas plays for the raptors he gets in his fair share of scuffles so um what you think of there is how the big guys are the guards are skilled um it's like any european team or they all can dribble pass and shoot um but again the physicality of it all was was interesting and and i i Actually, believe it or not, after you know playing at Wisconsin, I really enjoy the the run and gun style, the freedom of movement. That's what I played with in high school. Um, looked at and, and obviously when committed to Iowa under Todd Licklider, it was a ball screen system where guards made plays. The swing is a little bit different, um, so I I enjoy the freedom of movement. So it wasn't exactly the happiest for me situational wise, like personnel wise. I, I wanted to get back to more of a fast pace. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's slow down, it, it's grinded out, and it's very physical, which was very intriguing to me as why the place the balls picked to go to. Yeah, so Lithuania, country of about three million people, small country. So on your on those rosters and on your team, how big of a share of that was foreign players not not from Lithuania, and then out of that share, about how many Americans were, were over there? How many guys and familiar faces did you run into? So I had two American teammates, Michael Dixon, who played at um, Missouri and then ended up at Memphis for his last year, Alex Oriaki, who won a title at UConn and then transferred to Missouri. So they were actually college teammates, which was crazy for one year. Um, and then Billy Barron was a good friend of mine that I you know, developed a friendship with, just trying to get away. He, li- he lived in the capital city, and I would drive there on the weekends and just wanted to speak English and, you know, have camaraderie with somebody who understood me and the barriers and you know we would we would just we would we would talk about things that you couldn't talk about with your teammates and maybe talk about you know just the whole culture in general and I won't 
I won't bash anything, but when you're living um, 5,000 miles away and you just don't have access to things like you do here in America, it's easy to find stuff to complain about. Um, and he was a good sounding board and a, a good person to be around. So just did whatever I possibly could to, you know, stay stay sane almost. When I say it's not as bad as I make it sound, but when you're over there, you're just so isolated. Um, so I, I was drawn to being able to, you know, hang out with someone and, and just speak English and, and do all that. Yeah, we saw one guy, a familiar name from recent seasons in the Big Ten, or semi-recent at least, that's Chris Kramer. He was on a team that wanted no part of the whole media circus over there. They didn't allow, I think, special cameras that uh, the Balls team that they were planning to bring in. So so the Balls refused to play, I believe, and I think Chris Kramer probably would have made life miserable for that team just because of his, uh, his nature, if you remember him watching him play. Well, yeah, I definitely do. Um, and what I'm still trying to figure out is, is you know, taking a, a step back again here, the Balls played today in a, a friendly game against Zalgiris' uh, Division Two team. So Zalgiris is a EuroLeague Euro team that travels all across Europe, you know, on, on planes, and they play in Spain, in Russia, you name it, the top teams of Europe, Zalgiris is playing. And... You know, LeVar Ball is putting something together where his his teams, you know, LaMelo and and, and uh, LiAngelo today, they played the second team of Zalgiris, which is development. Yep. They played, you know, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, which is good. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I'm just, I, I knew as I was talking a lot, you know, a lot about all this, I knew they weren't going to be able to compete against the Chris Kramers and the top teams of Lithuania because he's 16 years old. He's got braces and he's just not developed to the ability, I'm not saying that he won't be. I think he's got a lot of potential, but he's got a lot to work on if he's going to be playing professionally in a Division One level um, over in Europe against grown men who have been doing this for a long, long time. So this, to me, makes a lot of sense. He was never going to play in that game. There's no no way that he could even, like, compete it. Or he, it, it just would have been, like, playing with four players. And it's not a shot on LaMelo. It's just the, rea- the reality of what it's like to play professional basketball against guys who are... 25, 30, even 35 years old with gray hair. Um, so I, I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of this, a lot of friendly games, a lot of, um, you know, planned efforts to make sure that they don't look bad because LeVar is smart. He's building a brand. He's not going to have his kids be embarrassed um, on the national stage when they got hundreds of thousands of Facebook users watching the game. And, um, yeah, so I've again, was very intrigued on how this was going to go down. I knew it was going to go down as crystal clear as, hey, they're on by Tautis, and they get to play all these top teams. I knew there was going to be a twist, and I think it's unfolding. Yeah, speaking of that team, Vitautis, that's the one getting all the attention over there right now. The story came out about their head coach selling meat out of a trunk or something like that after practice. Just a weird story that's perfect for you know those overseas tales that you hear of just unique you know, people and experiences. So that's the kind of stuff I love to hear. And I, and I ask overseas players whenever I get a chance about some unique stories over there. So do you have any from your time in Lithuania? Did anything weird happen or just out of the ordinary, strange, uh, just unique occurrences? Man, on top of my head, I should, I should know this, but Alex, Mike and I, we, and, and Billy and I, we, we would always talk about how things were backwards there. Like everything was just so backwards. And we thought you were doing something right. It was wrong. And when it was wrong, it was right just one of those situations where it's just so different um but the meat story it just so to, to people 
who had never been there, like, just reading that, they're probably like, what in the world is that? But you, you just, you got to think, like, this it's just different. When you're in a town of 12, 10, 10, 12,000 people, like, you don't have access to every, there's no butcher around the corner that, that's in every town, like, like we do, you know, in Chicago or, or uh, even in the suburbs, like, there's, there's, like, three local butchers in your, in your town or city, like, it's just not like that, so, um, it just, it makes a lot of sense once you get to know how things are done there, but if you've never been there, you're just like, what, like, that makes no sense, um, man, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, I can tell you, you, I can tell you that every time I played well in practice, I, like, played four minutes in the game, every time I sucked in practice, he'd play me 25, 30 minutes, never made any sense, it's just, it's just bizarre. So I guess the next logical question is, would you have bought meat from your coach after practice, and would you have trusted your coach to put out a good uh, sanitary product? See, I wouldn't have trusted that, but who knows? Because my teammate used to get meat somewhere, and we used to cook, like, burgers and steaks, and they were good. They tasted better than the stuff that I would get from the local grocery store. Um, But I think he played for that coach, and it might be adding up now to me in this current moment that maybe he was getting the meat from that coach because he had played from him before. And uh, and I was eating that coach's meat. Uh, I just didn't even know about it. Hey, it's certainly possible. You know, small circles over there. Um, so knowing your teammates and some of the opponents you played against and uh, people you played with over there, how would the majority of, of guys react, do you think, to a media circus kind of descending on their team or, or that league with American players coming over and their attention kind of being demanded by a certain pair of players or their father look who who wouldn't love that think think of this for a second would would you have ever watched the game that you just watched ever if it wasn't for lavar and lamello and and leangelo absolutely Absolutely not. not so as a player in lithuania in a country that people can't even point out on a map why wouldn't you like that attention the ability to play in front of hundreds of thousands of people who knows if they would have played in front of hundreds of thousands of people in their whole career in one game, LeVar and LaMelo helped them eclipse that. I wonder what the total number of, of unique v- visitors to the to the broadcast were. That would be interesting to me, not just the total at one time. Um, yeah. Eyeballs on them that they never would have had in their entire lives because of LeVar and LaMelo. Um, intrigued. I mean, obviously there's a honeymoon phase. I don't know how long the honeymoon phase is going to last, but just, I mean, look at the way LaMelo plays. He plays like a 16-year-old. That's okay. Um, but when you're playing with guys who are getting paid to do it and take it very serious, eventually they're going to get mad at the 30-footers he jacks up, uh, no passes. It, you know, it's going to take a toll. It's going to take time. It's, gonna, it's all good right now. But the honeymoon phase will end at some point, and there will be some interesting times, I'm sure. Yeah, and just for you, from your perspective, what's it like seeing Lithuanian basketball getting so much widespread attention now just – you know, after being there just a couple of years ago, it's just crazy. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I never would have picked out Lithuania as the country they would go to. Knowing Lavar, I, I just figured he'd pick like Spain, or even if even if it was second division Spain on the beach. You know, living the big baller lifestyle. Just so crazy to me that he picked um, Vitautis in a small resort village of Lithuania. Never in a million years would I have guessed that they would have ended up there after spending as much time as I did there with uh, the experience I had. And, yeah, like you said, it's the honeymoon period now. Lithuania and basketball is uh, the talk of the sports world in certain corners. 
So it was a good opportunity, to, a good opportunity to address a very timely and topical issue, and I want to do it by adding some actual perspectives and some unique stories. And I think we did that without feeding that hype beast like, like we uh, see some outlets do. So correct, that been, yeah. yeah. We, want, we want to bring some real content that isn't just click clickbait. <laughs> Exactly. So for that, Ben, we thank you. Uh, safe travels on your drive through Wisconsin, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Alex. All right. Thanks to Taylor and Ben for joining me. Uh, Taylor and Ben both have really been awesome to get to know and uh, been great to get along with as they've advanced through sports media. Ben is an athlete and now as a uh, personality and, and broadcaster and Taylor as a rising sports broadcaster as well. Um, we never actually worked at BTN together, but uh, like I mentioned in, this, in the interview, knew each other in Illinois and have kept up since then as she has gone on to uh, a lot of great success. So uh, those two are great. I hope you enjoyed the conversations. Thanks as always out there for listening. Don't forget to keep subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Thanks as always to Wes White, for producing the show and we'll talk to you next time here on the Pick 10 Podcast.